It's a blessing to be with you tonight um, on this Shabbat evening, just as it was a special time uh, last Sunday, as many of us gathered in St. Petersburg Park for the Stand with Israel event. Let me see if I get my slides going here. There you go. There are some of us there at that event. And, um, you know, my first trip to Israel was in 1982 during the war in Lebanon, first war in Lebanon, which Israel referred to as the Peace of Galilee operation. And at that, at that time, they had to go into Lebanon, much as they have to now go into Gaza, because of the constant barrage at that time of Katusha rockets that were being fired into the Galilee from southern Lebanon. And I learned many things from that trip to Israel, not least of which was when the world media bashes Israel not to pay any attention to it. There are a lot of lies, a lot of accusations against Israel. And if I hear something negative against Israel, I know there is another side to the story that's not being told. What I saw firsthand is that Israelis love and they value life. They truly desire peace. And even when they are forced to war, they do everything in their power to protect innocent lives. And I know that's what they're doing now as well. At the rally on Sunday, someone shouted from a passing car, liberate Palestine from their oppressors. And they, of course, think as much of the world accuses that Israel is the oppressor. But the real oppressor to the Palestinian people is Hamas. And Israel will, with God's help, liberate the Palestinian people from their oppressor. Amen? Let us continue to pray for a speedy end to Hamas and for God to protect the Jewish and Arab peoples who are not a part of this evil, violent terrorist organization. But this evening, I want, to, I want to see what Scripture has to say about what God is doing among Jewish people, the nations, and the final restoration of Israel. At our Shoresh David uh, congregation in Wesley Chapel, which, which uh, I lead with my wife Amanita, I've been doing a study series on Rav Shaul, that is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. And this evening, I want us to take a brief survey an overview of Romans chapter 9 through 11. These chapters are some of the uh, most, I could say, most important um, scriptures for the entire Messianic movement and the greater community of Messiah, especially for the days we are now in as it relates to Israel. They present a salvation historical narrative of what God is doing with his Jewish people, the nations, and the final restoration of Israel. It's important to see the big picture of why this section of Paul's letter to the Romans is so essential. These chapters show us that God has called from Jews and Gentiles people to be his children Becoming children of the promise through trust in Yeshua is the solution to peace, not only for the Middle East, but for the whole world. So, we are continuing our series on Rav Shaul's letter there. Many commentators of the letter to the Romans focus more on chapters 1 through 8 
than chapters 9 through 16, seeing the letter more as a doctrinal thesis, treatise rather, rather than a letter to ancient believers. And many commentators focus on questions raised by the Protestant reformers of the 15th and 16th century about Paul's words in Romans 9 through 11, rather than understand the words in answering questions of the first century. These chapters are too often read as an abstract of individuals predestination or predestined to either salvation or damnation rather than from the perspective of Paul's anguish and his agony over the wide-scale rejection of Yeshua by many of his fellow Jews. To see this chap these chapters as an afterthought to chapters 1 through 8 rather than the climax of the theological portion of the letter is a huge mistake. And we need to see that Rav Shaul's is arguing for the defense of both God and Israel. And he's refuting certain assumptions that Gentiles in Rome are making about God and Israel and Israel's future. To properly understand these chapters, Romans 9 through 11, we need to approach them with first century questions and controversies in mind. Now, central at the opening of each of these three chapters and throughout is Rav Shaul's concern for the salvation of his Jewish people. Paul describes his great sorrow and unceasing grief in his heart for the sake of his brethren, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, in chapter uh, 9, verse 2 and 3. He says in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And Rav Shal goes on in chapter 11 to speak how at, this, at his present time in the first century, there has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice from among the Jewish people. And we find that already in the first century, this remnant of Jewish people who put their trust in Yeshua as their Jewish Messiah, numbered in the tens of thousands in Judea alone, including a large number of priests, we're told in Acts chapter 6. You see, in the first century, really also today, within mainstream traditional Judaism, there persists the idea that if you are born Jewish, you are somehow guaranteed a seat in the family of God's covenant people. And, and Paul is in these chapters showing from the Tanakh, from the Old Testament scriptures, that it has always been a remnant, a remnant of the people of Israel who are Israel. As he says in Romans 9, 6, for not all those who are descended from Israel are Israel. This was a painful statement for Paul to say, but he understood that even though physically Israelites, many of his own Jewish people would not belong to Israel in the end. However, the main issue of chapters 9 through 11 is not individual salvation, but rather what the wide-scale corporate Jewish rejection of Yeshua the Messiah means for both the called from the Jews and those called from Gentiles. And Paul argues that God's love, his love for the community of Israel, has not ceased. It hasn't stopped. And if God has totally rejected Israel, 
then Paul's conviction that nothing can separate us from the love of Messiah is based on some pretty shaky ground. Paul continues to argue that God's purpose and choice stand because of him who calls. And God will have mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he has compassion. It's not based on our works, our achievements. And this is a time for Israel as a nation and for us individually. That's true for both of them. In Romans chapter 9, verse 24 through 29, Paul makes the point again that the Tanakh, in the Tanakh, that God's chosen, those he calls, are not only a remnant from among the children of Israel, but also from the Gentiles. As the prophet Hosea says, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not loved, beloved. Interesting that God told the prophet Hosea to name his daughter Lo Ruhamah, which means no compassion, no mercy. What a name to give your daughter, right? This was the time of the divided kingdom in the land of Israel. And God was telling Hosea that he would no longer have compassion or show mercy to the northern house of Israel. But he would show compassion to the southern house of Judah. And Hosea would also have a son, and he was to name him Lo-Ami, which means no people. And yet those God called, not his people, he will call them sons or children of the living God. When I was a a child, 10 years old, uh, John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 were were very special verses for me. Uh, It's speaking of Yeshua, and it says, He came unto his own, meaning his, his own Jewish people, and his own received him not, but as many as receive him, those trusting in his name, to these he gave the right to become children of God. You see, I realized one evening when I was 10 that I did not have a right to be a child of God. No amount of good behavior or doing good things would earn me that right. I did not deserve that right, and I still don't. But God, because of his great compassion and mercy, he sent Yeshua to his Jewish people in their Jewish homeland 2,000 years ago. And even though the majority of them did not receive him as their Messiah, their Savior, or their Lord, nevertheless, as many as do receive him, trusting in his name, and remember his name means what? Salvation. To these, Jews and Gentiles, he gives the right to be children of God. That night I prayed a simple child's prayer, saying I wanted to put my trust in Yeshua and receive him into my life. And just like that, I knew he had made me a child of God. Friends, we're called from among Jews and Gentiles to receive Yeshua into our lives, trusting in his name. And this is how we become children of the living God. The spiritual new birth is not of a bloodline, not of human desire, not of man's will, but of God, we're told in John 1.13. Rav Shaul makes the point in Romans 9, verse 30 through 33, that if we are trying to be righteous before God by our works, by pursuing a Torah of righteousness, we will not reach that Torah. 
we will never reach and come up to the standard of God's law if we're trying to obtain favor and acceptance by him by keeping the law. Rather, we must pursue that righteousness by faith. We must pursue that Torah of righteousness by faith. Down through the centuries, Yeshua has been a stone of stumbling for many Jews and Gentiles alike because they choose not to believe in him. But whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame, we're told there in Romans 9.33. Messiah is the means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting, and the Torah's end goal is to point us to him. Those called from Jews and Gentiles have no distinction in regards to salvation. The way to be saved is the same. If you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, we're told there in Romans 10. For with the heart it is believed for righteousness, and with the mouth it's confessed for salvation. The Lord is richly generous to all, Jew and Gentile, who call on him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeshua is the tested stone, tested stone laid in Zion, a costly cornerstone, a firm foundation. Those who trust in him will not be put to shame. They will not flee in haste. And this is what it says there in Romans 10, 11, but also it's quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 16. While those not trusting in him will find he is the stone that causes their stumbling and be the rock of offense to them. For Rav Shal, for the Apostle Paul, the called from Jews and Gentiles were the remnant. They were the elect. They were the ones to obtain what Israel is seeking. And yet while this called group of Jews and Gentiles obtained it, the rest were hardened. They could not see with their eyes nor hear with their ears. So the next question that Paul addresses, and this is specifically to the Gentile believers in Rome, is um, the question of they, meaning the nation of Israel as a whole, he says, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? And he answers his own question, may it never be. But by their false step, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Romans 11, 11. Paul's hope is seeing that God uses Israel's rejection of Messiah to open his salvation to the Gentiles. And yet Paul has the hope that this is not the end of the story. Rather, just as Israel's rejection of Messiah leads to the reconciliation of the world, so their acceptance of Messiah will lead to life from the dead. Amen. Had Paul only this first half of his hope, that is, salvation coming to the Gentiles by Israel's rejection, he would have had a replacement theology hope. And sadly, many today have only this half of Paul's hope because they miss the second very important part of Paul's hope. The acceptance of Yeshua as Israel's Messiah is a hope we must continue to hang on to, pray for, and work towards. Redeemed Israel should not and cannot just be assimilated 
into mainline Christianity. Rather, Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, need to see themselves as brought into the covenant God made with Israel. Gentiles assimilated into a biblical Jewish faith, which is Yeshua-centered, is what Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, most certainly had in mind. Reading Romans from a first-century viewpoint requires we recognize there was no Christianity as we know it today in the first century. The question of Paul's day was how Gentile believers who were growing in number would view the Jewish believers. And Paul has some strong words for the Gentile believers about not becoming arrogant toward the Jewish believers. Especially in Rome at that time, most of the Jewish believers had been expelled from the city due to this edict of Claudius. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. And when they were allowed to return to Rome and join the fellowship, gather, uh, fellowship gatherings of Messianic followers, suddenly they discovered the non-Jewish believers outnumbered them and tensions were present called from Jews and Gentiles, had produced tensions down through the centuries. It has, largely for the reason that Gentiles have grown to outnumber Jewish people in the community of Messiah. The only way we're going to overcome these tensions is by giving heed to Paul's counsel at the beginning of these tensions in the first century. My Gentile brothers and sisters, there is no place, no place for arrogance towards the Jewish people or Israel. Romans 11, verse 18 through 23, are critical verses in understanding the attitude Gentiles should have toward Jews. Rav Shal uses the illustration of an olive tree with its roots and branches. He describes the Jewish branches broken off because of their rejection or unbelief in Messiah Yeshua, while the Gentiles are like wild olive branches grafted in among them, becoming a partaker of the richness of the root of the olive tree, Yeshua being the root, or Shoresh. The point being that Gentiles should not boast against the Jewish branches because it is the root, Yeshua, that supports them both. Both the Jewish branches and Gentile branches that stand and continue to live spiritually do so because of their trust in Yeshua. And thus Paul's rebuke, do not be arrogant, but fear, for if God did not spare, spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Notice then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who fell, but God's kindness towards you, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Hallelujah. Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, here emphasizes that it is faith or trust in Messiah Yeshua that enables both the Jew and the Gentile to know life and be part of the family tree of God. There is no place for boasting or arrogance, especially for the Gentiles, who may be greater in number in this family of God. We are Mishpoka, or Mishpoka, depending on your background, which you want to call it, how you want to uh, pronounce it. But Jew and Gentile, united in the love of Yeshua, our Messiah. 
It's not the size of our numbers that unites us nor defines us. It's not our ethnicity, not even our language and culture as significant as that may be. But the primary feature that unites us is the common root that we have through our trust in Yeshua. He is Shoresh David, the root of David. Yeshua is the rich root of the olive tree that continues to nourish and give life to both the natural olive branches and the wild olive branches grafted in through trust in him. The mystery, the mystery according to Paul, is that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, he says there in verse 25 and 26 of Romans 11. Now, what is meant by the fullness of the Gentiles coming in? What is meant by all Israel? And when will all Israel be saved? These are questions that we have to discuss more. But Paul quotes from Isaiah 59, 20, saying that a deliverer or redeemer will come to Zion and those in Jacob, meaning the Jewish people, will be turned from sin and ungodliness. God will forgive their sin, and he will remember it no more. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 28-29, Concerning the good news, the Jews are hostile, they are enemies for your sake meaning for the Gentiles' sake. But concerning chosenness, they are loved on account of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And by this statement, Paul intends to get the non-Jewish believer in Rome off of any anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic ideas they may have been thinking because of the widespread Jewish rejection of Yeshua. In fact, the Gentile believer, having been shown mercy because of the disobedience of Jews who rejected Yeshua, has all the greater responsibility to show the non-believing Jew the mercy of God. So God makes all to understand that we are all disobedient and guilty of breaking his Torah, his law, so that he may show mercy to all. Paul concludes Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, exclaiming, Oh, the depths of the riches! both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how incomprehensible his ways. This wonder with God's ways and wisdom concerns this mystery, this mystery of Israel and those called from Jews and from Gentiles. Friends, there are many unknown details of what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 9 through 11. But what is clear is that all believers are to, be, to bring glory to the Almighty God of Israel. See that they are not arrogant toward the Jewish people or the God of Israel. The nation of Israel and be filled with his love and mercy toward them. The fullness of the Gentiles coming in places a very great responsibility on non-Jewish believers to be spiritually mature, especially those of us feeling a strong connection to Israel and the Jewish people. Gentile believer, you are grafted in to the community of Israel through your faith in the Jewish Messiah. He is the root that supports your grafting in. 
However, the salvation of all Israel that is coming includes the full nation of Israel restored through Messiah Yeshua and many Jewish people coming to knowledge, the knowledge of him as king. When Messiah does return, we can be more fully informed of the mystery surrounding this call from Jews and Gentiles. Then we will fully express our wonder at the great mind and purposes of our eternal God. Until then, we will continue to ask questions and seek further understanding of the Lord's purposes. This is one thing that is no great mystery to God's people. We need to each come to experience have and know the salvation that Yeshua has made possible for us. We need to each be vessels for God's grace and mercy to one another, and in so doing, anticipate the Messiah's return. Even though the greater Jewish community does not yet recognize Yeshua as Messiah, nor recognize us, his followers, as a part of the community of Israel, this does not change the truth of God's scripture. Many of the present challenges and growing pains of the modern-day Messianic movement have their solution in Yeshua's words and directive. John chapter 13, verse 35, Yeshua says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And as we go forward in these end times, with its challenges and difficulties, which we are to overcome, we must also remember Yeshua's words in John chapter 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. We will be willing, will we be willing, to make the ultimate sacrifice for one another? I trust that we will. Friends, we are called from Jews and Gentiles to stir up the love of Yeshua within us for one another. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for this portion of your word, very important portion of your word that reminds us that your calling of the nation of Israel will stand. Though they may stumble in their faith of Yeshua, Lord, you still have a purpose and a plan for the nation of Israel. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for we who are, who are from Gentile backgrounds. We thank you for just the great debt that we owe to the Jewish people, all that we have through them, the scriptures, the Messiah, salvation itself. We thank you, Father, that you have shown us the love of Messiah. And may we remember the remember to love you, Lord, our God, with all that's within us, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. May this be our prayer for the community of Messiah worldwide, that we would truly be one in Messiah. May the joy of our salvation overflow as we marvel in this mystery of us being called from Jews and Gentiles. Lord, begin with me. Create in me a clean heart, united in love for others around me. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen.